We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience, as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. All right, babe, we're live. All right. Welcome to Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valentins. We are Jason and Lauren Valentin, your hosts. And today we are going to have a discussion between the two of us. And I say discussion because, yeah, I think that we're going to go back and forth a little bit. I think that uh, we're going to bounce ideas off of each other and we're going to talk some about conflict resolution. Ooh, I am, I am more excited about this podcast than I have been. Yeah, Jay's really excited about this topic. I am too. I think this is a really important concept. Um, this is scary. Conflict can be really scary for certain personality types. And when it comes to conflict inside of relationship, I think people tend to imagine that conflict is what contributes to the breakdown of relationship. And today... Jason and I are going to talk about how conflict is actually a necessary component to a healthy relationship, and it isn't conflict in and of itself that breaks down a relationship, but rather how you engage in conflict that could break down. Mm -hmm. So we are going to reference today a lot of uh, the work by Dr. John Gottman. He wrote a book called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, which Jason and I both read years and years ago. And Jay in particular had so many takeaways from this book as he sat with couples and did a lot of marriage counseling for a lot of years. This was one of his primary tools of reference. And so the concepts in this book, although it's aimed very specifically in the context of marriage, what we know is that these principles apply to conflict in general. Um, I will say that today's episode, we are probably going to aim at people who are in uh, dating or marriage, like dating or marriage conflict. I would say this type of, these principles we're going to talk about today and even some of the resolution skills, they're applicable to any sort of relational conflict, but we're definitely going to emphasize those deeply intimate relational conflicts that come in the context of dating and marriage. For a single person, to me, this is vital. Gold. Because at any point in your life, you're going to be dating or married right? at some point, or you're going to know somebody. And I mean, I even use this stuff when I'm, you know, just talking to friends or whatever. Oh yeah. This or kind of family. Yeah. Family conflict. So this is a big deal, but a lot of our examples today yeah. and some of the emphases are going to be on those more intimate relational conflicts. Um, Let's go ahead and dive in. I said this at the very beginning, but just to frame this first part of the discussion, um, conflict in and of itself is not what contributes to the breakdown of a relationship. Yeah. And I think that depending upon how you grew up, what your life was like, what your relationships were like in the past, um, and personality type, a, a lot of people grow up, including myself, and because of how I'm wired and are terrified of conflict mm. and because it feels like war, right? Like, oh, I mean, just so many times 
conflict, the thought of, oh man, I'm coming home and I know that you're not super happy. Yeah. Oh, how many times have I left work and been like, Gosh, dang it. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to walk in and things aren't super great and I have to make a decision like, am I going to address this? Am I going to avoid it? And mm-hmm. I'm just dreading it. I can remember yeah. uh, if I got in trouble at home, my mom used to say, wait till your dad gets home. Right. Sitting for hours in my bedroom, waiting for my dad to come home. Yeah. To have a conversation with my dad, which was going to be a spanking. I mean, that's what it was going to be. <laughs> and I can remember hiding uh, under my covers and pretending like I was asleep. Oh my, my dad's goodness. smart. You know what I mean? Like he knows I'm not sleeping. And he would he would wake me up. And he was always rational and loving. But you know, at the end of it, you're going to get a spanking. Like, <laughs> like I hassled my mom, you know, I, I was not being kind. I hassled my mom and here we go. And, but for me, like I'm, I'm just so wired to please and uh, to be helpful mm-hmm. that conflict is just, I just avoid it at all costs. I, yeah. I grew up wanting to avoid it. Um, somebody does something that hurts my feelings. I don't want to talk about it. Mm. I don't want to talk about it to them. And I don't really want to talk about it to anyone else. I just kind of want to like handle it, you know, which basically means I live with it. Yeah. Internalize it. Like this piece of pencil lead that's still in my hand from fifth grade. Oh my goodness. It's just in there. And that to me is, is how I would prefer to do life and in relation to conflict mm. And you know, I've done so much marriage counseling not as much as John Gottman, but a lot since 24, really, since I was 24, I've been helping married couples and, and people that are in relationship, just hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds in over and over and over again, what we see is people not knowing how to do conflict well or not doing it at all. Right. Yeah. And what happens is the thing that you avoid eventually completely brings down the whole entire ship. Right. And that that's a scary thing. And unless we were really taught how to do conflict, which you didn't learn that in school, mm-hmm. how the heck are you supposed to know how to do it? Right. Like who gave you tools, right? So maybe I want people to just stop here and think for a second while you're driving down the road or whatever. Like where did you learn your conflict resolution tools? Right. At, at what age? And are they working? Are they like, you know, they're working if you're, if you're confident and if you're engaging in it, mm. but where did you learn those And in, and what was, what was life like for you? Yeah. I would say too, you know, how, you know, if your conflict resolution skills are working is, do you enjoy your relationships? Because it's not a matter yeah. of, it's not a matter of does your relationship have conflict? It, every relationship has conflict if there's two people in it because no two people are alike. Everybody sees the world a little bit differently and you're not your spouse. You're not your girlfriend or boyfriend. You're not your friend. You can't, you can't have a real relationship without conflict. But you know that your skills are working if you're both enjoying the relationship if you're not both enjoying the relationship, then in and of itself, you know that there's some conflict resolution issues because there's the conflict of I'm not enjoying this that you're in the middle of and it's not resolved. So 
I think too, I mean, people put a, put a lot of energy into avoiding conflict, but the other end of the spectrum is people can be explosive in conflict. Oh yeah. And I think that those are the two ends of the spectrum, complete yeah. avoidant or explosive. And you know, then there's the in between where people are just kind of hoping to navigate it well. And you know, when you're just hoping to navigate well, you're going to run into an yeah. iceberg from time to time, you know, or whatever. So this is a great conversation. I think everybody wants to know how to improve their conflict resolution skills. I don't know anybody that genuinely likes conflict. There's more personality types out there that would say that they do, but really truly do they? Or is it actually, do they view it a means to an yeah. end? I would say I'm more in that camp. Like I, I don't enjoy conflict by any stretch, but what I enjoy less is ambiguous silence. Yeah. In the, I don't like guessing. How about eroding the connection in a relationship? I don't like the eroding connection. I don't like the feeling of unresolved anything. I like things to feel tidy and buttoned up and dealt with. Even if it's going to be painful, I'd rather do that. I was listening to Jordan Peterson the other day, which uh, we both do often. And it was like this one minute reel, you know, and he was saying, conflict is necessary. And he went on to say like how much he hates conflict. Yeah. So he does it as fast and get it over with. Yeah. Like he addresses it head on Mm -hmm. and I watched a longer version of it and he said, man, if somebody has a problem with me, especially his wife, he was talking Mm -hmm. about his wife. Like he said, it's the first thing I do. I come in and we just lay it all out there. And he said, I just talk about everything. We get it all out on the table so that we could get back to living this peaceful life. Like you have yeah. to, in his mind, it's it's chaos and order, right? That's how he yeah. thinks a lot. That's and, how I'm wired yeah. too. So he's like, everything's chaotic in the conflict and you have to get it all out there and- Order it up. And get to a place of order. Yeah. And um, so what was, what was conflict like at your home, babe? So what did you, because yeah. that's where we learn a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, what were your parents like? And sorry, mom and dad. But we're about to just tell on you guys and we'll tell well, on ourselves. Too. Well, I was going to say, you know, what Jason described, you know, he described, you know, getting in trouble at home and his mom said, wait for your dad to get home. But what he didn't describe is that his model was he didn't really ever see his parents in conflict. No. So, of course, you know, dad's going to come home and it's the 80s, right? So you're definitely going to get a spanking when yeah. your dad comes home if if you're in trouble with your mom. But. I would say where you learned what does conflict look like in relationship, there wasn't any. Yeah. So I laugh nowadays when, when people say, you know, my wife and I don't argue. We don't argue at all. And I get what they're saying. You know, they're trying to say like, Hey, we're good. You know, we're solid. We don't have any problems, which that was my experience growing up. I remember the one time that, my mom and dad got into like a real heated conflict. Mm-hmm. The one time. The one time. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. We came home. I, I was probably I don't <laughs> know, 12 or 13. Yeah. And I, wa- I watched my mom walk out of the bedroom crying. She was real angry. Uh-huh. And she got in her car. She kind of slammed the door just a tiny bit. Yeah. Leaving. Which I if you know that. my mom, it's so, so good to yeah. slam the door oh, sometimes. Gosh. Yeah. And she got in her big old Mercury station wagon. Uh-huh. And drove down to the park, which I didn't know, you know, we didn't know where she went. It was like seven o'clock at night and dark. <laughs> and my mom left and we were all like, oh, oh, dad's an idiot. 
Yeah. Because my mom was so kind, you knew my dad. It was my dad's it was, fault. Yeah. And she left, and like five minutes later, my dad came out of the bedroom and left, just left, you know, and drove down to the park. And I get, probably apologized, probably got on his knees. Who you knows? Know? We don't know to this day. Yeah. And he, they talk, they've talked about it, but you know, that was, that's my experience. Yeah. And, and I would say there are extreme levels of pleasing people on this planet. My mom's on one end. My mom is really, really pleasing, has low needs, uh-huh. just personality types, right? Like, uh, she took care of her mom growing up, you know, just super easygoing in servant hearted, servant hearted. Yeah. Yeah. Not that, super assertive. Yeah. Not a lot of people on this planet like that. Right. So, and their relationship worked, but tag yeah. you're it. What was yours like? Yeah. Opposite. So, uh, I would say, and I don't want to like psychoanalyze anything, right? But no. let me just say for the people. So Jason didn't see conflict. The one time he can remember seeing conflict, yeah. the result was mom left the house. Yeah. Nobody knows where she went. Like, I'm and sure. She came back an hour later. I know, but I'm saying like, these are the subconscious things that we, you know, you read between the lines and you go, well, the goal of marriage I'm sure you didn't grow up thinking the goal of the marriage is to have very healthy conflict. Rather, no. your subconscious goal for marriage is not to have conflict. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't want to have conflict in, in relationship. No. And I can see now looking back how that affected my dating relationship so totally. bad. So that was one of the downfalls in my marriage. Yeah, is sure. Your I, first marriage. My first marriage is I didn't have needs. I didn't have needs because I didn't want the conflict that came with having needs. Right. And so I hit, you know, I hit all that stuff and not even consciously, unconsciously a lot. I just, I hit it with like talking myself out of it. Right. Like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, I could serve more. Yeah. Right. If I just serve more, if I lay down my life more, then I'll be more like Jesus and she'll be happy. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Like I can make my wife happy. Yeah. I don't want her to have to adjust. Yeah. Or move. Yeah. That's going to cause me pain. Yeah. And you genuinely like being the person that's able to make the adjustment to make the other person happy. It's you just, and you to like that. Yeah. But I mean, that yeah. was, gosh, a massive downfall. Totally. So, yeah. So I grew up, you know, opposite, opposites, uh, pretty opposite model, just in the sense of um, it wasn't abnormal for me to see my parents when they had conflict. And I also, I didn't grow up in a conflicted home. I didn't grow up in a home where my parents were at odds. Um, I didn't grow up in a home where conflict was out of control Mm -hmm. feeling. I didn't feel like things were out of control. Um, I would say what was normal for me though, is that if there is conflict and one person is quote against the other, you know, you're definitely going to raise your voice. Like we're going to raise our voices so that you know I'm serious. Yeah. You know? And um, I would say what I learned, well, I'm wired much more like my mom when it comes to communication and needs. I would say we're both really vocal. Like if I'm feeling a certain way or if I'm not feeling taken care of or if I feel like I've been hurt. I'm going to quickly locate that emotion Mm -hmm. and I'm going to let you know. Yeah. 
With emotion. With emotion. Yeah. How I'm feeling and what I think I need and how that wasn't okay. You know, we also, we oper- we operate with a list of absolutes, I would say, <laughs> my mom and I. <laughs> we have lists of absolutes. Yeah, so do. like, this is absolutely right. That is absolutely wrong. You know. There's a lot of judgment. As there. There's a lot yeah. of judgment. So there's, there's a lot of like, this is right and this is wrong. And if you are in the wrong category, you're wrong. It's not just that was wrong. You're wrong, you know? And so I'm, I'm saying this because I'm going, my mom and I are wired really similarly. Yeah. And so I learned like, okay, one person is correct and one person is incorrect in this argument. And I tend to be on the vocal side. So probably what I'm going to do is talk to you until I feel like I have you convinced. You're going to talk at me. I'm going to talk at you until you are convinced that I am actually right and you are actually wrong. So I'm being funny about that, but I think that that's pretty typical. I think it's pretty normal to approach conflict. Like we actually wouldn't have a conflict if I didn't feel I was right. Hello. Like we have conflict because each party is operating in their worldview, in their perspective. And, and people are typically pretty convinced of their stance inside of whatever conflict it might be. So, you know, you hurt me. I feel like you're wrong. That was kind of, that's, that's pretty typical. So I would say I grew up in a, in a home where that was the model. It was like Mm -hmm. something comes up you can see the emotion on people's faces. You can see, you can feel the conflict in the air. There wasn't any hiding of conflict. I'm sure that there's lots of things my parents didn't let us see, right? Of course. Like it never felt wildly inappropriate or like we were. Except for when your mom took her ring off and threw it across the house. Oh, that happened one time, which I actually really appreciate. because Jean, we love you. (laughs) I feel very validated in my high emotions. We'll, We'll tell some stories. We'll tell on my on me here in a little bit, but, um, yeah, like the occasional, like high, high emotion, it was something that was okay. And it didn't equal like separation or, um, it never felt threatening. I would say Mm. like high emotions never felt threatening. Loud voices felt like, yeah, that's what you do when you're serious about something. So what I learned in hindsight, in being married to you specifically, mm-hmm. is that um, some people actually don't hear well when the volume is up. Yeah. You know? So, especially for somebody that comes from an opposite background to me, like if you grew up in a home where, you know, conflict was avoided or just not presented, then getting big and scary during conflict isn't going to go well. Yeah, I mean that's what I learned. Nobody can hear when the volume's up so loud. That's true, right? and it, it just ends up being more chaos, and disorder, and, and frustration, and pain. And you know, I'd love to jump in a little bit to um, just some of the Gottman principles because I really want to demystify mm-hmm. for a lot of people what's happening in conflict and why. It's so necessary and also so damaging. Mm -hmm. And I think John lays out so beautifully what happens in conflict and the kind of conflict that's really damaging to a relationship and the kind of, and and then how to do conflict in a way that is, is really helpful and beneficial. Yeah. And, um, I'll let you set it up a little bit, but I'll, I'll do the setup to the setup. Okay. 
So um, basically the Gottman Institute, they had this um, lab they called the Love Lab. Mm-hmm. where they did a series of studies on individuals. And you guys can read more about this in the seven principles for making marriage work. So this is just like a, um, just a highlight of that. Yeah. They did a, a study on couples. Yeah. Couples. Yeah. Not individuals. Yeah. Not individuals. Couples. There's individuals in the couples though. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> where basically what they did is they, they had these couples come into their marriage lab and live out their everyday life. Mm-hmm. For an ex- They had studio apartments set up. Yeah. Yeah. With microphones and cameras, heart monitors, uh, VCRs. So that tells you when this was done. Yeah. Yeah. VCRs, no DVDs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But basically they watched them do their everyday life and they studied them. And they did this through, uh, through, uh, you know, a series uh, of time. And and, um, what they began to observe is these couples live out their everyday life, but then watch them do conflict. Mm-hmm. And eventually John got to the point where he's able to predict uh divorce what by watching a couple argue, how they argue, how they come to conflict and what they do inside of conflict, not just argument, how they behave in yeah. conflict inside a conflict. He can predict with 91% accuracy, whether that couple's going to stay married or get a divorce. Wow. So he's, he's watched a lot of couples. A lot of couples. Yeah. And what's good about that is, is at first, like reading this book, at first I was like, oh no, it's kind of scary because you see these four horsemen that we're going to talk about and this other stuff like flooding and stonewalling, these principles, these things that, that come into our relationships and you go like, oh, I do that. And that's a part of my life. And uh, I've been over here. So at first it's a little bit scary. But then you realize like, no, this is a part of every person's life and relationships if you don't do something to actually grow and change it. And so, you know, our world, maybe I can just say this, our world is full of broken divorce relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's one, one of our missions is to help change that, right? One of our, we would say like, we want to build a healthy whole relationships, you have to equip people, but you also have to, part of equipping them is, um, informing, like, right. Like mm-hmm. educating them on what's really happening. And so <clears throat> we want to just take a little bit of time and walk you through these, um, the four horsemen and these things that, that are present in, in inside of the conflicts that, cause us to disconnect, cause us to break apart, you know, that take us further away from our goals into disconnection and uh, resentment and bitterness and anger. And, you know, in doing so, so the first part of this podcast is going to be us, you know, really um, diving into, to the four horsemen, these other things and explaining what they are. And then we're going to talk about like how to actually, you know, what's the antidote to that stuff. So, yeah, that's good. Oftentimes, like if you're sitting in, uh, well, we used to teach a pre-marriage class and we actually coupled, you know, the weeks that we would talk about, uh, conflict. We also talked about communication because a lot of what, a lot of what you're navigating inside of conflict management or conflict resolution is your communication skills. So they're very connected. And 
I think John, I'm sorry. I know I'm cutting you off. No, you're good. John makes a point in his book where he says communication skills alone isn't enough. Right. And because most people don't actually have high enough skill to overcome what they're bringing into the conflict, if that makes sense. And and so it's why he goes through, you know, the four horsemen and it's why he goes through stonewalling and flooding and, you know, all this stuff. So, yeah, I think, yeah, what I would want to say though, is that you can't really separate them because a lot of what contributes to successful conflict resolution is your able your ability to communicate and navigate, navigate through, through yeah. conflict. 100%. So, you know, a relationship that has no conflict in it is not a real relationship. No. And avoiding conflict would, will actually destroy your relationship. But like Jay said, you know, and as John really beautifully explains in this book, there's behaviors that contribute to the breakdown of relationship. And it has largely to do with how you engage in the conflict. So um, there's, there's this one, there's one truth though, that I think would be really important before we actually talk about what are these, what are these, what are these negative behaviors that if allowed inside of a relationship in conflict will destroy a relationship. But before that, the concept that in marriages, so in these marriages that John was studying, they discovered that a large majority of conflict in marriage, i.e. in deeply intimate relationships, are actually not resolvable Mm. in the sense that a married couple is likely to come up on the same conflict many times throughout the course of marriage. And that's because, and I'm actually just going to read this portion of this book. Yeah, do it. Um, He says, most marital arguments cannot be resolved. Couples spend year after year trying to change each other's mind, but it can't be done. This is because most of their disagreements are rooted in fundamental differences of lifestyle, personality, or values. By fighting over these differences, all they succeed in doing is wasting their time and harming their marriage. This doesn't mean there's nothing you can do if your relationship has been overrun by conflict. It does mean that the typical conflict resolution advice won't help. Instead, you need to understand the bottom line difference that is causing the conflict between you and to learn how to live with it by honoring and respecting each other. Only then will you be able to build shared meaning and a sense of purpose in your marriage. So can I just say, yeah, that's so freeing. Totally. Because I mean, I even look at our life, right? And if the goal is to eradicate the conflict in our life, I mean, we're going to come up against the same things quite a bit that we have to learn how to navigate through every time. And in reading that book, he goes on to say like couples who are unwilling or unable to adapt and learn different skills and tools, they eventually get bitter and and those relationships end. But yeah, you're right. There are the perpetual things. He actually says 67% of all things that we come up against 
uh, in marriages are perpetual. Yeah. So I think before we jump into like bad conflict Mm -hmm. skills, because we're going to talk about things that are really harmful to do inside of conflict in marriage and in intimate relationship. But I think helpful maybe to give some examples of what are some of the conflicts in our relationship Mm -hmm. that are, you know, we come up on them. They're not actually resolvable because they're, they're, we're so different that you can't actually change me. You, I'm not going to change you. You're wired a certain way. Now, what I do want to say though, is if, so we've grown, it's not that you can't resolve it in the sense that you can't find a workaround. Yeah. There's lots of workarounds. There's marriage is a, is a actual dance of compromise and bending and growing and stretching and flexibility. It is a real practice of laying your life down for the other person and actually choosing to prefer them over yourself in a situation. So you, you find your workarounds and you, you get better and you, you grow in your ability to navigate these differences basically, but there are differences that remain. And so, I mean, for example, right? Like I can think about, um, I'll just say for myself, I know that my personality, especially our journey of being married, I would say getting married and taking on the role of wife and, and parent all in the same go, yeah. right? Because you had three kids when yes. we got married. Insta um, mom. I always say that I never knew, I never really actually knew what anxiety was until <laughs> our first year of marriage, where I just became just, just, just loaded distinctly up. acquainted with the concept of anxiety and what it felt like to have anxiety. Um, completely different topic. But I know that in our marriage, how I deal with my stress mm-hmm. and my anxiety has been an ongoing conflict for us. Mm-hmm. So how I manage myself when I'm overwhelmed has created conflict between us. Yeah. And so it's it's not resolvable in the sense of, oh, I'm just I just don't all of a sudden I just don't have any anxiety and I don't <laughs> I don't behave poorly anymore. And because we all know, like we're on our best behavior when we're anxious and we're on our best behavior when we're stressed out of our minds. So, you know, we can't resolve that conflict necessarily because I've had to go on a journey of basically exploring my anxiety, figuring out, you know, why I have stress. What is this underlying sense of over responsibility that Mm. contributes to my stress? How do I treat people around me when I'm stressed? But it's not resolved immediately because my stress isn't resolved immediately. Yeah. So it's a big job. It's a big I'm job. It's going to take years to like really unpack it, get like create a habit and a routine that when I start to yeah. feel stressed, I do. So when I start, so this is a real story, right? When I start to feel stressed, I look for things to gain order yeah. in which looks like I start controlling my environment. (laughs) So I control my environment and all the people that are in my environment. So I want, you know, it's not overt maybe, but it's definitely like my list of rights and wrongs gets real clear. And all of a sudden, if you're not behaving by my set of rights and wrongs, you're contributing to the chaos that I'm feeling. You are the problem. You are the problem. And I'm going to let you know about it. So, you know, we, tons of tension comes from my learning journey of how to manage my stresses. 
Yeah, it's true. You know, on my end, um, my hobbies can just be out of control. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know. <laughs> yeah, and we laugh. I and a lot of my friends are like that too. I'm thinking about my friends. Uh, your first name starts with a T. Both of you, actually. Oh my gosh! And, no, I'm, just, I'm telling on them. They are laughing right now if they're listening to this. But um, you know, I can get so focused in on my hobbies and. Mm-hmm my hunting and fishing and fly tying. And I mean, honestly, whatever it is that I get interested in, I get so incredibly focused and dive so deep into it that I can't, it's part of my obsessive. Jason has no surface level hobbies. No, it's pro or nothing. Yeah. You go all the way. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, that has been, I don't know, years, years of taxing. Yeah. Years of having to talk through over and over and over again and navigate through like how for me to manage my obsessions and you both understanding and having needs inside of it. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's not like I can shut that off. I'm not, no, I'm a, I'm a dog. You throw the ball. I want to run and catch it. Like you're not going to unwire that dog to have that need. And in fact, me actually forbidding any relationship with your hobbies would be, I mean, that's the last thing. Yeah, no, that would be the last thing. That would be the last thing, right? (laughs) That would be the end. So, um, (laughs) I bet John could predict that one. Yeah, he could. Uh, I would say inside of that dynamic, what's happened for us over and over again is I find myself feeling like Jason's hobbies get the most of his drive Mm -hmm. that me and the kids and his thought about how to actually proactively pursue us gets what's left. Yeah. So that's the perpetual argument is, Hey, why don't you give us some of that energy? Yeah. Get obsessed about us. (laughs) Yep. And, uh, and that's, you know, there's a couple of ours. We'll, we'll listen more as we go. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So when John and his team ran these studies and discovered what kinds of behavior contribute to breakdown in intimate marriages, um, they list out a few things in the in the book. I'm going to list them and then we're going to talk through them a little bit because as you're listening, I think helpful for you to go, oh, I know where that shows up or yes, I've seen myself behave that way, or maybe my parents behaved that way, or maybe my spouse. Yes. So Mm -hmm. find yourself in these, in this list, but four categories of things that contribute to breakdown inside of conflict. Remember, it's not conflict itself that breaks down a marriage. It's the behavior inside. So it's a harsh startup. Secondly, the four horsemen, which inside of that, so four horsemen is one thing. But the four horsemen are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, which we're going to, we're going to describe each one of those. The third thing of how that helps him predict divorce specifically is flooding. And the fourth would be body language. So back to the top, a harsh startup. I'm rolling my eyes as you say this. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So back to the top, a harsh startup. So when you're engaging in conflict... A harsh startup is a definite predictor of, oh, this isn't going to go well for these guys. I can demonstrate it. Yeah. So let's pretend that you hurt my feelings. Okay. And here's a harsh startup. And let's pretend I'm talking to you. I say, um, you know, can we, can we, 
can we talk about what happened last night? And you say, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm going to go, um, you always try to control me every time. Every single time you feel anxiety, you try to control me. And that's what happened to you last night. Last night, you felt a little bit out of control. And then all of a sudden, I find out that you're trying to control me. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's going to go for me? Mm-hmm. How do you think I feel? Okay, right away, I that's such a harsh startup. She has to, in order to hear me, she has to get through so much of my judgment, uh, mm-hmm. my misunderstanding her. Yeah. I'm creating this wall of mm-hmm. offense and judgment and uh, that... It, you know, right there, most people don't even get out of the gate into a real conversation and understanding one another because of how they started. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible to even have the conversation because I couldn't start in a way that you can actually hear me. I'm yeah. starting in a way where you actually have to defend yourself and or really be the bigger person right? in order to engage in this conversation. So in the passage about this harsh startup. Mm-hmm. John gives this statistic and I think it's pretty yeah, do it. interesting. He says 96% of the time you can predict the outcome of a conversation based on the first three minutes of a 15 minute interaction. A harsh startup simply dooms you to failure. So if you begin a discussion that way, you might as well pull the plug, take a breather and start over. So when you start out a conversation, a conflict has happened. One person is hurt. The other one, you know, whatever. When a conversation starts with a blame yeah. or a judgment. You're so mean. You always do this. An absolute statement of, yeah, always, never, all the time. Yep. When you're categorizing, when you're name calling, yep. when you start out a discussion about this conflict you've had or this hurt that you feel. It's game over. It's game over. Hard startup. Yeah. And you Bad will plan. find out. So we'll we'll talk about the antidotes later. You will find out that you really should start over. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So the second sign of whether a marriage is going to end in divorce or not based on their conflict resolution Before skills. you say it. Yeah. As we're going through these, I think people should think through like, like rate yourself. How okay. often do I do a good start? Or do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like how in, good. Yeah. 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 Like, where are they at? I feel like I'm the queen of a fake good start. Can I just say that right Mm. now? Like, I feel like I go into conflict. Let's say you've hurt me or let's say I'm not feeling pursued or let's say you've left that stinking dirty pan on the stove for the billionth time this week and I'm here cleaning it up again. Whatever. We, We go, I know this, right? Like, we know this. A harsh startup how do you think it's going to go if yeah. you come out of the gate with a bunch of blame and judgment? So I feel like I'm the queen of a fake good start. I come in soft. Hey, can we have a conversation? Hey, I, I'm having some feelings. I'd like to have a conversation about dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And uh, there we go. I'm, I'm doing good. I've got this sar- soft startup coming. I'm laughing so hard. I know. Here. And then, then my self-control, yeah. it goes out the window. As soon as you start sharing. No, I'll tell you what. As soon as I realize you're not going to agree with me, I switch. <laughs> it's harsh mode. And I get judgmental and I yeah. start. I'm not being heard. Oh my gosh. The threat of not being understood yeah. or not feeling agreed with. Yeah. Forget it. All yeah. bets are off. I'm back you to harsh. You lose your mind. So anyways, that's... I love it, babe. Thank oh, you for that. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that's a harsh startup. 
doomed to failure. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me, although I still try it most of the time. Okay. Next one. Um, the second sign, the four horsemen. Yeah. Okay. So the four horsemen, it's a series of behaviors that usually lead one to the next. And it's how you're communicating, yep. how you're communicating what's happening for you inside of a conflict. It starts with criticism. This kitchen's a mess. You're such a slob. Yep. A judgment, a criticism. Mm -hmm. I feel critical of this thing that my husband does or my boyfriend does or my friend does. And that criticism, I'll tell you, like, when you come in and you've, like, sometimes, okay, especially in the past a lot, I would be fighting you in my mind. We haven't even had the conversation yet, but I've had it thoroughly. Like, I've... You know what I mean? I've already been at war for the last hour with you. I'm coming into this conversation yes. with tons of criticism. So I'm going to read an example. Yeah, do it. Okay. So often in a conflict, there's some kind of complaint, one versus the other. And this is what John spells out in the book. For those of you that have already purchased the book and received it somehow from Amazon Prime, it is on page 28 and you can follow yeah, along. Do it. Um, okay. Here's an example of a complaint. There's no gas in the car. Why didn't you fill up the car? Jason used the car. There's no gas in the car. Why didn't you fill it up? The criticism is, why can't you ever remember anything? I told you a thousand times to fill up the tank and you didn't. When you come a perfect at me example. with a criticism, yeah. I want to go to war. <laughs> yeah. I want to. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm geared up. Totally. So there you go. Your criticism is the first yeah. bad idea. Yeah. Second horseman, contempt. Mm. So what happens when criticism is allowed to simmer is that it turns into contempt. Yeah. And when we we already talked about this, I it's actually impossible to change another person. Yeah. So as soon as I start feeling hopeless or powerless, I can't just be critical because I'll wear myself out being critical. So I move to contempt, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like the nasty, like stepmother of criticism because it introduces like sneering, mockery, mockery, sarcasm. Yeah. Yep. The sarcasm. Acting superior to me uh in your superior ability to organize and think about the house. Don't worry. I'll just take care of it again. Yeah. That vibe. Don't worry. I love that girl. I'll just, and she's got a face, right? She's got, she's, there's an eyebrow to that. Contempt is a nasty little thing and it's demeaning. Yeah. And. But criticism can move to contempt easily when that person feels powerless true. or tired. Yeah. It's a punishment, right? It's punishment. I'm trying to punish you. I'm punishing you for mm-hmm. how you're how I'm behaving. Feeling. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, for how I'm feeling and yeah. how you're behaving. Totally. Okay. Then um, defensiveness. Mm. So, you know, everybody knows what defensiveness is. But I think what happens is, you know... You move from feeling like, sorry, we're going to have to pause because I'm like, how does this, how does it move? Okay. Yeah. So with defensiveness, what happens is I get into this mode where I'm like, this is not my fault. This is your fault. 
this is everyone else's fault. You're late, not me. Like, um, it's the inability to take ownership. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to take any ownership in, you know, what's happening here. I'm the victim ultimately. Yeah. And holy smokes. Like, uh, I go ahead. We can pause. We can go back. Okay. Yeah. We're at, um, 43 minutes. Yeah. So we're following the, the, we're following person a in the relationship. They're critical. Then they move to contempt. Then they get defensive because the the spouse pushes back, right? The other person pushes back and goes, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. But no, I'm not going to actually take ownership for the fact that now I'm at fault. I'm being critical. I'm full of contempt. Mm. But I'm going to also be defensive about that because, no, you deserve this. You deserve my criticism and my contempt. I am not taking ownership for how this is going. This is on you, pal. Yeah. I have permission. I have permission. And I have proof that I should be defensive in this situation. That's great. Then lastly, we move to stonewalling. So it's, this is like the tired, (laughs) this is like, now we're just worn out. So we're stonewalling with, we're punishing with distance. We're punishing with. Yeah. So you're, you can no longer emotionally connect to me. Yeah. You don't get any of me. Right. So it's a punishment where I, where I completely shut down. Yeah. One person eventually just tunes out. Yeah. And men are, are more likely to stonewall than women. And we can talk about that later. Yeah. But okay. Statistics. So those are the four horsemen. So we've got, you know, the harsh startup, the four horsemen, which is a whole bunch of like communicative behavior. Then there's flooding. Yeah. Let's dive into flooding because women are more likely to flood than men. Yeah. Flooding is, you know... I'm more prone to this in our relationship for sure. When I have high emotions or a need that I am afraid is not going to get met, my tendency would be to talk it to death. Just just beat it yeah. into the ground. Talk it to death. And I want to just keep reiterating the same message over and over and over because I'm not sure he's getting it. Because actually, this is the fifth time this year that we've had the exact same argument. So he must not be hearing me. So I'm just going to say it facts. more and more and facts more. Facts and details <laughs> yeah. and proof. information and proof. Yeah. The more you do that, the more I want to stonewall. Totally. To try to shut shut you off. Yeah. And then last but not least, the fourth category would be body language. And mm. I mean, that one's pretty self-explanatory, but just what you communicate with your body says a lot about what's going on inside of you. Oh yeah. Because most of our communication is through our body language. Yeah. Nonverbal. Yeah. It's nonverbal. So you're talking to me and I'm looking down and yeah. then I can look up at, you know, you could say, you're not even looking at me. I can go, what? Right, like, oh, I'm I'm bringing back into that defensiveness. What, like, I'm listening, I'm here, you know, or I roll my eyes, or whatever. So, those yeah. are the you know the four horsemen plus the behaviors that we bring into these conflicts. That, I mean, it, it, as you go through them, you can see like, yeah, that's going to be a disaster. Yeah, those are the behaviors that really do contribute to breakdown. Um, the the. The fifth, the fifth thing that I would mention here, and then we'll kind of dive more into it when we talk about, you know, how to actually do uh, conflict well, is um, failed. There's there's no repair attempts. And then the sixth thing would be uh, bad memories. Oh yeah. 
So those are four of the main things that John talks about that contribute to breakdown inside of conflict. Um, We're going to wrap this up and actually jump into part two of this conversation on the next episode. Um, We're going to get into the meat of actually how to do conflict resolution in a helpful, healthy way. Um, Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully it's been insightful. Again, I really want to highly recommend that you would check out The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by Dr. John Gottman. Excellent resource and definitely worth a read. But as always, uh, we're, we're so happy to have you. If this is the first episode that you've listened to, I would encourage you to go back and listen, especially to the first um, few episodes as we laid some foundations for relational health that will kind of carry us through a lot of our different conversations. But please um, let us know how you're finding this podcast. We really are excited to get to know our audience better. Um, you can always add comments or questions here. we Definitely love for you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Help us get the word out. Um, but connect with us on social media or other channels available in the in the show notes. And yeah, we are just really thankful. Yep. We'll see you all next week. Bye.